Hi, we're starting chapter 8 in the Vasudhimaga today, page 225. And Aurora, would you be able to start us off? Yes. Mindfulness of death. Now comes the description of the development of mindfulness of death, which was listed next. Definitions. Herein, death is the interruption of the life faculty included within a single becoming existence. But death as termination, cutting off, in other words, the arahant's termination of the suffering of the round, is not intended here, nor is momentary death, in other words, the momentary dissolution of formations, nor the death of conventional metaphorical usage in such expressions as dead tree, dead metal, and so on. Two. As intended here, it is of two kinds, that is to say, timely death and untimely death. Here, in timely death comes about with the exhaustion of merit or with the exhaustion of a lifespan or with both. Untimely death comes about through karma that interprets other life-producing karma, interrupts other life-producing karma. Three, herein, death through exhaustion of, exhaustion of merit is a term from the kind of death comes about owing to the result or former revere producing camas having finished preparing also favorable conditions for, for prolonging the continuity of a life span may be still present. Death through exhaustion of, of a lifespan is a term for the kind of death that comes about owing to the exhaustion of the normal life span of men of today, which measures only a century owing to one of such excellence in destiny as deities have, or in time as there is in the beginning of an aeon or in nutriment as the utakurus, utarakurus and so on have. Untimely death is a term for the death of those whose continuity is interrupted by kama capable of causing them to fall from their place at the, that very moment, as in the case of Dusimara. Kalaburaja, etc. For the death of those whose life continuity is interrupted by assaults with weapons, etc., due to previous karma. All these are included under the interruption. The life faculty of the kinds already stated. So mindfulness of death is the remembering of death, in other words, of the interruption of the life faculty. One who wants to develop this should go into solitary retreat and exercise attention wisely in this way. Death will take place, the life faculty will be interrupted, or death, death. If he exercises his attention unwisely in recollecting the possible death of an agreeable person, sorrow arises, as in a mother on recollecting the death of her beloved child she bore, and gladness arises in recollecting the death of a disagreeable person, as in enemies on recollecting the death of their enemies, 
and no sense of urgency arises on recollecting the death of neutral people, as happens in a corpse burner on seeing a dead body, and anxiety arises on recollecting one's own death, as happens in a timid person on seeing a murderer with a poised dagger. Note that, that it's actually, they actually do mean that in order to meditate on death, you can just say to yourself, death, death, death. It's an interesting idea. But it's very much in line with, you can see where our practice came from. You know, there was, it didn't just come out of thin air because someone thought it'd be a new idea to do. It's really the old ancient traditional way of meditating, is using a mantra to focus on whatever your object is. Thank you, Bhante. Naga, are you able to read today? Yes. Um, could someone read for a minute? Oh, sure. In all that there is neither mindfulness nor sense of urgency nor knowledge, so he should look here and there at beings that have been killed or have died and advert to the death of beings already dead, but formerly seen enjoying good things, doing so with mindfulness, with a sense of urgency, and with knowledge, after doing which he can exercise his attention in the way beginning, death will, not take, death will take place. By doing so, he exercises it wisely. He exercises it as a right means is the meaning. So, like, continue on, you want to pick up from there. Yeah, when some exercise, when some exercise it merely in this way, their hindrances get suppressed. Their mindfulness becomes established with that as its object, and the meditation subject reaches access. But one who finds that it does not get so far should do his recollecting of death in eight ways. That, that is to say, as having the appearance of a murderer, as the ruin of success by comparison, as to share in the body with many, as to the frailty of life, as signless, as to the limit, limitedness of uh, the extent as the shortness of the moment. Herein, as having the appearance of a murderer, he should do his recollecting thus, just as a murderer appears with a sword, thinking, I shall cut this man's head off and applies it to his neck so death appears. Why? Because it comes with birth and it takes away life. As budding toadstools always come up lifting dust on their tops, so beings are born along with aging and death. For accordingly, their rebirth-linking consciousness reaches aging immediately next to its arising and then breaks up together with its associated aggregates, like a stone that falls from the summit of a rock. So, to begin with, 
Momentary death comes along with birth, but death is inevitable for what is born. Consequently, the kind of death intended here also comes along with birth. Therefore, just as the risen sun moves on towards its setting and never turns back, even for a little while from wherever it has to go, or just as a mountain torrent sweeps by with rapid current, ever flowing and rushing on and never turning back even for a little while, so too this living being travels on towards death from the time when he is born, and he never turns back even for a little while. Hence it is said, Right from the very day a man has been conceived inside a womb, he cannot but go on and on, nor going can he once turn back. And whilst he goes on thus, that is as near to him as drying up is to rivulets in the summer heat, as falling is to the fruits of trees when the sap reaches their attachments in the morning, as breaking is to clay pots tapped by a mallet, as vanishing is to dewdrops touched by the sun's rays. Hence it is said, the nights and days go slipping by, as life keeps dwindling steadily, till mortal span like water tools in falling rills is all used up. As there is fear when fruits are ripe, that in the morning they will fall, so mortals are in constant fear when they are born that they will die. And as the fate of pots of clay, once fashioned by the potter's hand, or small or big or baked or raw, condemns them to be broken up, so mortal's life leads but to death. The dewdrop on the blade of grass vanishes when the sun comes up. Such is the human span of life, so mother, do not hinder me. So this death, which comes along with birth, is like a murderer with voice power. And like the murderer who applies the sword to the neck, it carries off life and never returns to bring it back. This is why, since death appears like a murderer with voice sword, owing to its coming along with beer and carrying off life, it should be recollected as having the appearance of a murderer. As the ruin of success. Here success shines as long as failure does not overcome it. And the success does not exist that might endure out of reach of failure. Accordingly, he gave with joy a hundred millions after conquering all the earth, till in the realm and his realm came down to less than half a gall nut's worth. Yet when his merit was used up, his body breathing its last breath. The sorrowless Ahsoka too felt sorrow face to face with death. Furthermore, all health ends in sickness, all youth ends in aging, all life ends in death. All worldly existence is procured by birth, haunted by aging, surprised by sickness, and struck down by death. Hence it is said, as though huge mountains made of rock, so vast they reached up to the sky, were to advance from every side, grinding beneath them all that lives, so age and death roll over all, warriors, priests, merchants and craftsmen, the outcasts and the scavengers, crushing all beings, sparing none.
And here no troops of elephants, no charioteers, no infantry, no strategy in form of spells, no riches serve to beat them off. This is how death should be recollected as the ruin of success by defining it as death's final ruining of life's success. By comparison, the comparing oneself to others herein, death should be recollected by comparison in seven ways. That is to say, with those of great fame, with those of great merit, with those of great strength, with those of great supernormal power, with those of great understanding, with Pacheka Buddhas, with fully enlightened Buddhas. How? Although Mahasamata, Mandatu, Mahasudasana, Daja Nemi, Nimi, etc., were greatly famous and had a great following, and though they had amassed enormous wealth, yet death inevitably caught up with them at length. So how shall it not at length overtake me? Great kings like Mahasamata, whose fame did spread so mightily, all fell into death's power too. What can be said of those like me? It should be recollected in this way, firstly by comparison with those of great fame. How by comparison with those of great merit? Jyotika, Jatila, Ugga, and Bendaka, and Punnaka, these the world said, and others too, did live most meritoriously, yet they came one and all to death. What can be said to have said of those like me? It should be recollected in this way by comparison with those of great merit. How by comparison with low with those of great strength was so they were Bala Dewa Bima Sena U T Tila and Chanura the wrestler in the ex Terminator's power throughout the world, they were renowned as blessed with strength so mighty, they too went to the realm of death. What can be said of those like me? It should be recollected in this way by comparison with those who of great strength. How by comparison with those of super, great supernormal power? The second of the chief disciples, the foremost in miraculous powers, who with the point of his great toe did rock Jayavayanta's palace towers, like a deer in a lion's jaw, he too, despite a miraculous potency, fell in the dreadful jaws of death. What can be said of those like me? 
it should be recollected in this way by comparison with those of great supernormal power. How by comparison with those of great understanding? The first of the two chief disciples did so excel in wisdom's art that save the helper of the world, no being is worth his sixteenth part. But through so great was Sariputas, understanding faculty, he fell into death's power too. What can be said of those like me? It should be recollected in this way by comparison with those of great understanding. 22. How by comparison with Pacheka Buddhas, even those who by the strength of their own knowledge and energy crushed all the enemy defilements and reached enlightenment for themselves, who stood alone like the horn of the rhinoceros, who were self-perfected, uh, were still not free from death. So how should I be free from it? To help them in their search for truth, the sages various signs employed. Their knowledge brought them self-perfection. Their cankers were at length destroyed. Like the rhinoceros horn, they lived alone in constancy, but death they could no, awade, no way evade. What can be said of those like me? I should be recollected in this way by comparison with Pacheka Buddhas. How by comparison with fully enlightened Buddhas? Even the blessed one whose material body was embellished with the eighty lesser details and adorned with the thirty-two marks of a great man, whose Dhamma body brought to perfection the treasure qualities of the aggregates of virtue, etc., made pure, pure in every aspect, who overpassed greatness of fame, greatness of merit, greatness of strength, greatness of supernormal power, and greatness of understanding, who had no equal, who was the equal of those without equal, without double, accomplished and fully enlightened. Even he was suddenly quenched by the down power of death strain, as a great mass of fire is quenched by the down power of a rain of water. And so the greatest age possessed such mighty power in every way. And it was not through fear or guilt that over him death held his way. No being, not even one without guilt of pusillanimity, but will be smitten down. So how I, how I, will he not conquer those like me? It should be recollected in this way by comparison with fully enlightened Buddhas. When he does his recollecting in this way by comparing himself with others possessed of such great fame, etc., in the light of the universality of death, thinking, death will come to me even as it is, as it did to those distinguished beings, then his meditation subject reaches access. This is how death should be recollected by comparison. As to the sharing of the body with many, this body is shared by many. Firstly, it is shared by the 80 families of worms. There too, creatures live in dependence on the outer skin, feeding on the outer skin. Creatures live in dependence on the inner skin, feeding on the inner skin. Creatures live in dependence on the flesh, feeding on the flesh. 
Creatures live in dependence on the sinews feeding on the sinews. Creatures live in dependence on the bones feeding on the bones. And creatures live in dependence on the marrow feeding on the marrow. And there they are born, grow old and die, evacuate and make water. And the body is their maternity home, their hospital, their charnel ground, their privy and their urinal. The body can also be brought to death with the upsetting of these worms. And just as it is shared with the 80 families of worms, so too it is shared by the several hundred internal diseases, as well as, such, as by such external causes of death as snakes, scorpions and whatnot. And just as when a target is set up at a crossroads and then arrows, spears, pikes, stones, etc. come from all directions and fall upon it, so too all kinds of accidents befall the body and it, it also comes to death through these accidents befalling it. Hence the blessed one said here, because when day is departing and night is drawing on, a bhikkhu considers thus in many ways i can risk death a snake may bite me or a scorpion may sting me or a centipede may sting me i might die of that and that would set me back or i might stumble and fall or the food i have eaten might disagree with me or my bile might get upset or my phlegm might get upset and and savor my joints as it were like knives i might die of that and that would set me back that is how death should be recollected as to sharing the body with many as to the frailty of life this life is impotent and frail for the life of beings is bound up with breathing it is bound up with the postures it is bound up with heat and cold it is bound up with the primary elements, and it is bound up with nutriment. Life occurs only when the inbreaths and outbreaths occur evenly, but when the wind in the nostrils that has gone outside does not go in again, or when that which has gone inside does not come out again, the man, then a man is reckoned to be dead, and it does and it occurs only when the four postures are found occurring evenly. But with the prevailing of any one of them, the life process is interrupted, and it occurs only when cold and heat are found occurring evenly. But it fails when a man is overcome by excessive cold or heat, and it occurs only when the four primary elements are found occurring evenly. But with the disturbance of the earth element, even a strong man's life can be terminated if his body become, becomes rigid. Or with the disturbance of one of the elements, beginning with water, if his body becomes uh, flaccid and petrified with the flux of the bores, etc. Or if he is consumed by a bad fever, or if he suffers a severe severing of the limb joint uh, ligators and 
and life occurs only in one who gets physical nutriment at the proper time but if he gets none he uses his life he uses his life up this is how the debt should be recollected as to the frailty of life bante i have a question um if we are not letting the, these um, bugs feed on us after death and the cremation does it uh, not agree with buddhism the cremation because we are not allowing other beings to feed on the body we don't have a responsibility to feed others you might say it's against buddhism if there are beings living in the body it might be against buddhism to burn the body and therefore kill the beings already residing therein that's an interesting point but as long as you're not aware of any beings any such beings you can you're technically okay but there's nothing in buddhism that says you have to feed others i mean it's good merit to feed others but it's uh, up to what, what you deem appropriate i mean it's a good thing to feed other beings to an extent you know if you like if you feed insects then you get lots of insects <laughs> so it's not, so if you put honey out in your house for example you could say well that's a good thing you're feeding all the ants <laughs> But in the end it's not really a good thing so it has to be what's appropriate it's also interesting how he put all these diseases and conditions in that part at that age time diseases he talks about i, I think cremation is a cultural thing in it was a cultural thing in india back then uh, because uh, high caste people were cremated or when you want to dispose of a body with respect you cremate instead of throwing it uh, in a graveyard yeah it sounds like for most most people at the time it was just throwing the they just throw the dead bodies in the field and let the jackals get them cremation didn't seem to be that big um but there's you know there's stories and the self emulated he burst into flames um i think what do you have with saripoda and mogalana i'm not sure mogalana i think burst into flames as well can't remember about saripoda i think in tibet they have the i think it's called sky burial where the bodies are left for the the birds as like a last offering for the birds yeah cuz there's not really anywhere i guess there's not really a lot of um wood and things to have funeral cremations when the buddha was cremated that's what he said for they should do yeah because uh, it might not be proper to throw a body of a respected monk uh, this is true i mean it, from, from a buddhist point of view it is fine but there's an understanding that for lay people they and for students you want to respect your student your teacher Bhante, you said that uh, if there is some, uh, I don't know, being already in the body, then cremation is not all recommended, or did I understand it well? 
Yeah, well, yeah, if there's well, a living there's a being, being, and, and if you're aware, if you're aware of, of living, living beings, beings, there's an argument there's an to be argument made, to for, made not for not burning it. But then what happens, for example, we, we got a tick. We are going somewhere in the park and then we got a tick. So we should leave it in our body or take it out? Well, there are ways to get it out without hurting it. But yeah, you should get it out without hurting it. Twe tweezers work. Another way is... Um, they were showing on the internet water, I think. No, was it water? I think it was just water. You rub around the tick. Oh, what was it? It's something, something, a Q-tip, that's right. Dip a Q-tip in, I think just in water. And then you circle, you, 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 you rub it in circles around the tick, spinning the tick's body around in circles. And, and because the tick, because of the tick's, the, the nature of the, its mandibles, the spinning action forces it to come out. Yeah, there's a video on YouTube about proper tick removal without hurting the tick and without hurting yourself. Just with water and a Q-tip, I think. Okay, thank you. The extra in India, they do not um, cremate the young people, unmarried girls, and young young kids. But then there is a whole group of uh, extreme Shaivists. They kind of marry these dead bodies, or they eat them, and they do prayers, and they live in these burial grounds. It's kind of a weird practice, and they have sex with them, these young women, after they're dead. I think that's almost like sick. There's a lot of crazy things. That, did you read recently there was an article, uh, this man was being punished did you hear about this man in India who they were going to punish him by raping his sisters? <laughs> yeah, 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 I just saw that. Man. I saw it laugh, <laughs> but it's, it's how, you know, just unfathomably uh, evil people can be. Village, village council decides that. But, I mean, this isn't a village council. This is demons. These people are not human anymore. This is unspeakably evil. There is Josh Duggard's family. They are highly Christians in US and uh, the guy molested all his sisters and they were on TV like live shows and famous yeah, people. Lots, lots of that as well. There was recently, uh, wasn't there recently something about a, a dead the guy, a Catholic think, priest think, who died? I think that guy, Bante, he fled with the neighbor's wife so yeah. he wants to take revenge. <laughs> It's it's like uh, I, I, the the illogical illogicality of it, you know, just how absurd it is. First of all, but you know, beyond that, it's grotesque. It's unfathomable that you could. I mean, luckily, I think they escaped. But just that people could come up with such insanity, stupidity, whatever you want to call it, evil. Basically, it's amazing. Every time I watch the news, I'm just so glad I meditate and, you know, that I found this, this path. It's such a difference. Amen. But, but, I, but I think in uh, Arabic countries, uh, they'll be stoning the sisters to death. Yeah. Not sure which one's... Well, I guess I still think it, the one in India is worse, but stoning is pretty brutal as well.
think we're on number 29 and is it is it Tina? Uh, yes. As silence as indefinable, the meaning is that it is unpredictable for in the case of all beings, the span, the sickness, and the time, and where the body will be lied, the destiny, the living world can never know these things. There is no sign for tells when they will be. So yeah, we, these five things are, I believe they're, yeah, and then Anguttara, he says Anguttara number five. So these are five things that are the animitta. There's no, there are five things that you can't know about death. Herein, firstly, the span has no sign because there is no definition such as just how much must be lived, no more than that. For beings die in various stages of the embryo, namely at the time of the Kalala, the Abuddha, or the, of the Pesi, of the Ganna. These are stages of uh, the, the fetus, fetus in the womb. At one month gone, two months gone, three months gone, four months gone, five months gone, ten months gone, and on the occasion of coming out of the womb. And after that, they die this side or the other of the century. And the sickness has no sign because there is no definition such as beings die only of this sickness, not of the other. For beings die of eye disease or of anyone among those beginning with ear disease. 32. And the time has no sign because there is no definition such as one has to die only at this time, not in any other. For beings die in the morning and at any of the other times such as noon. And where the body will be laid down has no sign, because there is no definition such as when people die, they must drop their bodies only here, not anywhere else. For the person of those born inside a village is dropped outside, and that of those born outside the village is dropped inside it. Likewise, that of those born in water is dropped on land, and that of those born on land in water. And this can be multiplied in many ways. And the destiny has no sign because there is no definition such as one who dies there must be reborn here. For there are some who die in a divine world and are reborn in the human world. And there are some who die in the human world and are reborn in a divine world. And so on. And in this way the world goes round and round the five kinds of destinies, like an ox harnessed to a machine. This is how death should be recollected as signless. As to the limitedness of the extent, the extent of human life is short now. One who live, lives long lives, a hundred years more or less. Hence the Blessed One said, Because this human lifespan is short, there is a new life to be gone to, there are profitable deeds to be done, there is the life of purity to be led. There is no not dying for the born. He who lives long lives, a hundred years more or less. 
The life of humankind is short. A wise man holds it in contempt and acts as one whose head is burning. Death will never fail to come. And he said further, Bhikkhus, there was once a teacher called Arka, all of which suttas should be given in full adorned as it is with seven similes. wonder if we should look that up. <laughs> I can't think right away what he's referring to. Did you want to take a minute and check into that, Bhante? I can, if you guys want to continue. And he said further, because when a bhikkhu developed mindfulness of death, thus, oh, let me live a, a night and day that I may attend to the blessed one's teaching. Surely much could be done by me. And when a bhikkhu develops mindfulness of death, thus, oh, let me live a day that I may attend to blessed one's teaching. Surely much could be done by me. And when a bhikkhu develops mindfulness of death, thus, oh, let me live as long as it takes to chew and swallow four or five mouthfuls that I may attend to the blessed one's teaching. Surely much could be done by me. These are called bhikkhus who dwell in negligence and slacky develop mindfulness of death for the destruction of cankers. And bhikkhus, when a bhikkhu develops mindfulness of death thus, Oh, let me live for as long as it takes to chew and swallow a single mouthful that I may attend to the Blessed One's teaching. Surely much could be done by me. And when a bhikkhu develops mindfulness of death thus, oh, let me live as long as it takes to breathe in and out, or as long as it takes to breathe out and breathe in, then, my, then I may attend to the Blessed One's teaching. Surely much could be done by me. These are called bhikkhus who dwell in diligence and keenly develop mindfulness of death for the destruction of cankers. Okay, uh, Araka is, in, is one in the list of seven teachers and his only point here it's it's about a different subject it's about the difference between people who respect their teachers and those who revile their uh revile well, those who respect good people and those who revile and the point is that you can't be sure where you're going to go those who were he had hundreds of disciples whom he taught the dhamma for companionship with the brahma world so he taught them to go to the brahma world but some of them didn't place confidence in him and were therefore reborn in hell. And those who placed confidence in him were born in a good destination. So the only point that he's trying to make is that people go according to their kamma and you can't say where they are and so many different places and potential destinations after death. Thank you, Bhante. But what are the seven similes? Just a second. That's sutta number 74. Oh, I missed. I was looking in 73. I see. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, so now then in number 74, he talks about Araka in particular. Uh, and he gave seven similes. Just as a drop of dew on the tip of a blade of grass will quickly vanish at sunrise and will not last long, 
so too, Brahmins, human life is like a drop of dew. It is like thick drops of rain. It is like a line drawn on water, which vanishes. It's like a river, which does not stand still. It is like a lump of spittle. It's like a piece of meat thrown in an iron pan, heated, will quickly vanish. It is like a cow led to the slaughterhouse. And every time she walks, she's closer to death. And I think Araka was supposed to be one of the bodhisattvas. In another place, he's called a bodhisattva. Here, it's not mentioned that he was one of the bodhisattvas. So, anyway, it's an interesting sutta. Angurutra 7.74 So short, in fact, is the extent of life that it is not certain even for as, long, for as long as it takes to chew and swallow four or five mouthfuls. This is how death should be recollected as to the limitedness of the extent. As to the shortness of the moment in the ultimate sense, the life moment of living beings is extremely short, being only as much as the occurrence of a single conscious moment, just as a chariot wheel, when it is rolling, rolls that is touched the ground, only on one point of the circle conference of its tire and when it is at rest rests only on one point so too the life of living beings lasts only for a single conscious moment when that consciousness has ceased the being is said to have ceased according as it is said, in a past conscious moment, he did live, not he does live, not he will live. In a future conscious moment, not the, not he did live, not he does live, he will live. In the present conscious moment, not he did live, he does live, not he will live. Life, person, pleasure, pain, justice alone, join in one conscious moment that flicks by, ceased aggregates of those dead or alive, are all kind, are, are all alike, gone never to return. No world is born if consciousness is not produced. When that is present, then it lives. When consciousness dissolves, the world is dead. The highest sense this concept will follow, will allow. 
This is a very powerful statement, very important. It's the kind of thing I've been looking for to be able to quote. Uh, the Nidesa isn't actually considered um, like Buddha, the word of the Buddha, but it's very much central to Theravada doctrine. So, um, first of all, this is, makes clear, and it it, argue, it proposes the argument that Buddhism doesn't teach rebirth. Nothing is ever reborn, and we kind of understand that, but it's important to make that clear, because otherwise, if if you do make it clear, you you save yourself all this trouble of having to explain how rebirth can occur without a soul. So you have to explain it correctly, and people don't uh, ask these questions once they understand that ceased aggregates of those dead or alive are all alike, gone never to return. Just these alone join in one conscious moment that flicks by. And then the other part is how the world is based on consciousness. The Buddha says this somewhere else, I think in the Sanyutta Nikaya, it's quoted in the Patisambhida Maga, that the world, I think, the world is empty and is based on the mind or something like that. I think we skip the entire next page according to my text. Number 40 is uh, number 39. You've still got one more sentence. Tina, yes. do you see that last yes. sentence? This is how death should be recollected as to the shortness of the moment. So, well, he does his recollecting by means of one or other of these eight ways. His consciousness acquires the support of repetition owing to the reiterated attention. Mindfulness settles down with death as its object. The hindrances are suppressed and the jhana factors make their appearance. But since the object is stated with individual essences and since it awakens a sense of urgency, the jhana does not reach absorption and is only access. Now with special development, the supramundane, supramundane jhana and the second and the fourth immaterial jhanas reach absorption even with respect to states with individual essences. So this is how, individual essences means real states. Sabhava dhamma is a, a term that is used to describe what is what really exists as opposed to a concept. If something's conceptual, you can fix on it for a long time and, and enter into absorption based on it. But with ultimate reality, because it arises and ceases, you can't fixate on it. It's changing, it's it's impermanent. So it only goes to uh, upachara samadhi. But then he's talking about how that's not the case for the, the super mundane jhana, which has nibbana as its object, which can result out of these sorts of meditation. And the fourth immaterial jhanas, second and the fourth immaterial jhanas, I'm not quite sure, it's a technical understanding. Anyway, for the supermundane reaches absorption by means of progressive development of the purification, and the immaterial jhanas do so by means of development consisting in the surmounting of the object, since there, in these, in those two immaterial jhanas, there is merely the surmounting of the object of jhana that had already reached absorption. But here, in mundane mindfulness of death, there is neither, so the jhana only reaches access. And the access, that access is known as mindfulness of death, since it, too, since it arises through its means.
A bhikkhu devoted to mindfulness of that is constantly diligent. He acquires perception of disenchantment with all kinds of becoming. He conquers attachment to life. He condemns evil. He avoids much storing. He has no stain of avarice about requisites. Perception of impermanence grows in him, following upon which there appear to the perceptions of pain and not-self. But while beings who have not developed mindfulness of death fall victims to fear, horror, and confusion at the time of death, as though suddenly seized by wild beasts, spirits, snakes, robbers, and murderers, he dies undiluted and fearless without falling into any such state. And if he does not attain the deathless here and now, he is at least headed for a happy destiny on the breakup of the body. Now when a man is truly wise, his constant task will surely be this recollection about death, blessed with such mighty potency. This is the section dealing with the recollection of death in the detailed explanation. And it's two o'clock. So perfect timing. Let's take a break now and come back in five, ten minutes to study Pali. <laughs> 